Psalm 6. To the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith, a Psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Thanks be to God. I'm James Cam. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I haven't done this in 20 years. Uh, took classes back in school and uh, was it four weeks ago, our, our elder retreat. And uh, Matt said he was going to be on Cape vacation. We needed coverage for this week. I was like, hey, I, I, I could probably do that. I can write. Um, I, oh, I, just done a, I had just done a speech at the school, that's why. So I felt, I felt a little confidence. It went fairly well. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, we're, we're here today. I'm going to look at some truth from Psalm 6 and uh, try to apply that to our lives. Hopefully I don't forget that part at the end, the application part. So, all right, when I was a teenager, <clears throat> I did a lot of canoeing um, with our church. Uh, our church did a um, program that was called Boys Corps. Um, it was very similar to Boy Scouts, except that we didn't wear those dorky uniforms and um, our, none of our leaders were out of shape and looked like they were gonna have a heart attack on the trail when we, um, as they did when we were passing them, so. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we did a lot of backpacking and, and outdoors stuff, learned how to tie knots, and you know, like we could, like, if you give me a long enough rope, I can make a rope ladder, just out of one single rope, it's pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool stuff to learn. I'm sorry that my son doesn't learn all that stuff because I, I don't remember a lot of it, but. <laughs> It was a good time to get out and enjoy um, older guys in our church that wanted to give back, and that's how they gave back. They, they enjoy the outdoors, they enjoy this, the, all that. So I did a lot of canoeing, um, which you might have a picture in your head of like, you know, calm water on a lake. No, we didn't really do all that. that. We, the church bought us white water rafting, or white water canoes that we took out onto the rivers in South Carolina and did, uh, I think the largest we did was class four. So, so rivers have classes they're in the rapids. They're, they're class one through five. Five is like, like you'll die. Um, and they're, they're, they're based on how, like, how much elevation is, changes throughout the, the rapid and how much um, water and force and all that stuff is in there. Very technical. Google it sometime. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, we, we, we canoed a lot. We got up to class four, so I felt like a pretty good canoe, uh, canoeist, canoeist, canoe person. I was, I was a pro. Let's put it that way. I was a pro. And so in high school, we went on this trip uh, with just youth group. Youth group isn't just, you know, boys corps guys. It was, it was all the girls, of course. And uh, high school, I was, I was kind of excited about that. I had had, uh, you know, visions of impressing, because I didn't have a girlfriend yet, let's be, let's be honest. My wife met me in college, sophomore year, freshman year, I think. So she didn't know me in high school. Wasn't too much different in, um, you know, the first two years of college. Um, maybe a little stronger, because uh, I had joined the Marine Corps and were enlisted and then didn't go because of other things, but that's another story. Um, I was skinny, but, but strong and whatever, so 
the, the strength comes in. I just have to keep throwing that in there. Um, <laughs> so anyway, high school, on this trip, getting ready to go, uh, excited about all the girls. So, you know, a chance to prove myself, not just because the girls were there, and, but I, I didn't really talk to girls at the time. So doing activities with them, that was a big deal. Um, <laughs> So we're out, we start on this canoe, we're going to the Tatuga River, which um, if, you, if you haven't brushed up on your, south, your, your southeast uh, geography, uh, the Tatuga River is the border of South Carolina and Georgia. And um, very cold brown water, clean brown water though. It's, I think it's only brown to hide the brown trout and things that are in there. That's the only reason. The, uh, Chattooga River has uh, three stages, and each stage has varying sizes of these rabbits. The stage we were doing, um, I think only went to stage three, was the largest, and it was the last rapid. Um, so you kind of like have fun, and all of a sudden, oh my god, we're going to die, and then, oh yeah, it's over, we lived. So <laughs> very, very cool river, we've done that one several times, and we're going on this trip on this part of the river, section two, I think it was, stage two, whatever. Um, so we have, we have rafts for everybody, um, except for, I think there was three canoes that we took from the church. So there was six guys that were like, oh, I want a canoe. We forget about show off our skills. Um, and, uh, you know, rafts are the big buses and, you know, the, the women folk, uh, they, they can go on those. So <laughs> the six of us, uh, guys that, uh, from the boys court group, um, were using these canoes. And uh, I, I, like I said, I was, I was looking forward to um, showing off my canoe skills because I was the hot shot, you know, I was the pro. So we, we go out on the way, and uh, Chattooga has a lot of flat water as well, so you have a, a lot of areas where you have, like, big pools where you can jump and swim and have a good time. And a lot of people, um, even some of these areas, put in rope swings uh, so you can get up on the shore and then swing down in the water and drop off. Um, yeah, I got time. I mean, I can tell another little, little branch. Um, the, uh, I don't think it's this river, but there's, a, there's one river that actually to, to this day, I don't know why we jumped into this river where we did, but at one point there's this, um, this rapid that goes around a big boulder, um, probably eight to 10 feet high boulder sitting in the water, and all the river rushes around it. And there's a, there's a rocky shore on the other side, uh, about 10 feet below the top of this rock. So we're jumping off this rock into the river, or at least we climb up there to do it. And we start looking in the river, and you can see rocks, and rocks, and rocks, and rocks, and rocks. But there's about a four-foot pool, four-foot-wide pool, right below this big rock. So we're like, that's where we're jumping right there. Well, like I mentioned, this is the middle of a rapid. So the water's rushing pretty quickly. Um, and so the first guy goes, <clears throat> he comes up and he's like, oh my gosh, I think I broke my arm. I'm like, on what? He's like, well, after you jump in, the water pushes you against the rock that's over here. <laughs> so it didn't deter any of us. Um, it didn't really break his arm, by the way. He, he, was, he was exaggerating. Um, so what we found out is we, can go, we could go over here and jump in. Basically, you want to hit the side of this rock. And then when you have, you have more time to react before you hit that one. So you can get your feet out you know, and catch the rock. So that, that, was, a, that was a good time in another, in another river. So it was a lot of fun. And yes, we all hit the rock and felt like we were going to, um, you know, have broken arms and limbs. And we probably all have arthritis in our left, le left arm from that trip. So, so back to Chitua, teenage trip. Um, we're canoeing. We're having a good time, splashing each other, hitting, you know, hitting the water with your oar and getting this big wave of water, getting everybody wet um, when it's really hot and the water, you know, is actually uncomfortable because it's so cold. Um, and have a lot of time. So we get down through the river, uh, still having a great time, you know, spending time with the girls uh, so they knew who I am. <laughs> but I'm sure they already did know who I was, just 
not that I was that cool, you know. Um, and um, we get down to one of the, it was either the first or the second class two um, rapid in this, in this river. And one of the, one of the canoes uh, tips over uh, in the middle of the rapid, which happens a lot. You know, you push, push instead of pull or, or whatever, and it, it kind of turns and you hit, you hit a rock and you kind of tip over. Um, mine rarely did, but it, it can happen. It can happen. So the river, the, the river turns this canoe over, and the guys all are like floating down the river, and the, the canoe's kind of coming after them in the middle of this rapid because it's class two. Um, it's not very tall. It's like it doesn't change a lot of elevation, but it's long, and so it has a lot more maneuvering where you're going left and right, <clears throat> but staying on the same plane and just rushing through these rocks is the typical class two. So the canoe has capsized, it's filled with water, it's sitting low in the water because you know, when you turn a canoe over, it, it sits down instead of on top of the water. And it catches this rock and it stops. It doesn't go anywhere. It just stays right there in the middle of the rapid on this rock. So the bottom of the part of the rock is, the bottom of the canoe is sitting against the rock and the rapids are rushing into the open part of the canoe. So it's not gonna go anywhere. It's nice and anchored. And um, everyone starts wondering, you know, like we, we get off to the sides um, and I see this, see this happen before I go to the rapid. So I was like, hey, my buddy in the, in the front, like, hey, it's giving me a lot of power. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna eddy around this, this rock above the, the canoe. Eddying is, is kind of getting into the, the V behind a rock. So you get behind it, the canoe sits there, and you're kind of on still water, so you can actually get the canoe to stay. And so we do this like, um, this like drift, kind of drift the canoe around and, and to get behind this rock, and we're sitting there in the middle of the rapid. It was a very cool action. I'm sure everyone that saw it was impressed. And um, I get out of the canoe and, and ask the guy in the front, like, hey, just stand up, it's, it's shallow here. Um, you know, once you get to firm, firm ground, I'm gonna go and get this canoe. The, the stuck one. He's like, it's, uh, it's stuck. <laughs> like, how are you going to get it? It's not like you can just paddle it out. I was like, oh, I, I, I've got it. So I, 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 I wade across, and you know the rapids, they have different parts where they shoot down with lots of water. So you have to be really careful. You wade through. Um, so I get out to the middle of this rapid, pushing through all this, ra uh, this rapidly moving water, and get to the middle, right above where the stuck canoe is. There's a, there's a what I call a hydraulic where the water is going down and back up. And um, I, I decide my plan because I didn't have a plan when I got out of the canoe, um, just to just get the plan, you know, get the canoe. That was the plan. So I, I'm at this top of this rock, on top of this hydraulic, and I'm like, oh, it's perfect. I'll jump in the hydraulic, it'll push me out right into the middle of that canoe. And if I get enough speed. Maybe I can just lodge it, dislodge it, and, and, and it'll be like, you know, amazing. And everyone will cheer, and it'll be like, James is awesome, yay. And uh, teenage head, you know. Okay, I thought of that last week, that's something too, so. But, um, so I do, I jump off this rock into a moving hydraulic, and sure enough, like hit smack dab right into that canoe. And okay, and I'm there. When I hit the canoe, I, I realize how firmly stuck it is. And then the whole plan is just like, I, I'm, I should have done this. This isn't going to work. But still out there. Everyone's watching now. And because, uh, you know, the, the rafts have caught up with us now. So the, all the rafts of, of our girl, you know, the girls are, are over there, too, watching. And uh, anyway, I start picking up the canoe. Well, a canoe by itself is 115 pounds. Junior, senior high school, I weighed like 135, <laughs> something like that. I was like Reagan, just maybe more muscle spread out, so 40, 40 pounds more muscle. Um, so, and I, and I carried the canoes all the time. I knew I could get the canoe, and I, I had not thought because of my unplanned uh, excursion out into the river. Um, about the water in the canoe. 
So a canoe, the, the, our canoes were 15 feet long. They were, they were large canoes because they were purchased by someone in the church that wasn't quite knowledgeable with, for canoes. Um, but they worked great. We had a lot of fun with them, and we broke several of them having that fun. So um, this is the third one that we broke. So got to get, get on the canoe. I was standing there with the rapids against my back, and trying to grab the edge and just pull it up. And I was like, okay, that's not working. I'm just going to act like I was just steadying myself, move around the end. Because if you move down the end, you can pick up less of the weight, right? And get, and, and get more of it up. So I'm thinking I'm going to do this. And just as I got to the end and start lifting it up, I look over my left shoulder and a raft that had no guide in it um, was just kind of tubing. We'll just say they were tubing. There was eight people in a tube a raft-shaped tube um, going, down the, going down the river. So I look over my left shoulder, and yeah, it's right there. And it didn't stop. It didn't turn because, you know, no guide. No one just having a lot of fun. They hit us, hit me and the canoe. They run me over. They push me down in the water. I get crushed uh, against the canoe and the rocks and uh, hit my head. I cut, uh, cut a big gouge in my knee because um, I hit that on a rock, evidently. <laughs> um, and it was great. The canoe was free, though, after this. Um, so I still think I, I succeeded. So, um, But I, I'm pulling the canoe, still full of water, over to the edge of the river after I come up because the rapid pushed us uh, good ways down the river. Um, and everyone's like, oh, are you okay? Like, that looked really painful. I was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> You kidding? That was nothing. And, um, but I, I lied. I, I had no um, intention of hurting my pride. Um, so I hid the fact that, yes, I think I probably broke my knee or hyperextended it. It really hurts to walk on. It's bleeding down my, down my calf. And my head really hurts. Like, I didn't think my stomach was queasy before. <laughs> Um, but after this incident, it was. And after some more schooling and watching sports, I realized that was probably a concussion. Um, Heading your head and wanting to vomit immediately after, et cetera. So, so I, was, I, was, I was pretty well injured through that whole thing. But I didn't want to look like the, the loser you know, idiot that would jump into a river and do something stupid and hurt themselves. So yeah, no, I was totally fine. Here's your canoe. Um, it, is, it is cracked uh, at the top there, but sorry about that. So when I got home, um, my dad and mom were like, hey, what, like, what's up with your knee? How, how did everything go? And um, I was like, well, I told, told my dad the whole story. <clears throat> and after you know, I, I share the incident, he laughs at me. And says something like, uh, "Well, I guess you guess you know that was stupid now, don't you?" And I was like, "Oh, well, yeah." Um, so, discipline can be just opportune wor- opportune words at the right time. Um, so I didn't feel stupid completely until I got home and I told the story, related to my dad, and he gave me the wisdom of his years. Um, and uh, then I, I knew for sure that, no, I had not been the cool guy saving the canoe. I had been that stupid guy that I didn't want to be. So, um, so why do we lie? And, wh- and why, do we tell, wh- why don't we tell um, the truth all the time? And, and, and does that hurt people? Like if we just tell a little white lie, if we tell small, like do small sins, nobody finds out about it. Um, does it really hurt anybody? Um, I, I think it, it might not if they don't come to the service, but it, but it hurts us. Like it hurts at least one of us um, that, that the lie is around. Um, you know, we may not tell the true status of our, of our school projects or the, the work project that our boss thinks we have because we told them like, oh, I got this. Um, don't need any help with that. I got it. I'll show how great I am. And then you can give me that raise. Um, but really, we have no idea what we're doing, and the project hasn't even started because we don't know where the you know the green button is to get it going. Um, 
And we might lie about our finances, hide things up, hide, you know, cover them up and, until um, you're hoping for some sort of relief uh, down the road uh, before the lie, you know, before the, the actual uh, status comes, comes about. And then we might actually lie about the health of our relationships. You know, a friend um, asks, like, hey, how are, how are you guys doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, we're great. You know, everything's perfect. Um, and we, instead of being honest. Um, and that's just, that's just normal stuff, right? Normal everyday things. It's not a, not a big deal. But every time we do one of those little sins, one of those little lies, one of those exaggerations, and we don't come back around and, and confess it. We don't, we don't take care of it. We don't come clean um, over it. It builds up a little callous. We get used to telling those little lies, those little untruths, because um, it doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody finds out about it. It's just me. I can deal with it. I only know about it, um, and, and that's where it needs to stay. So we just push them down and, and cover them up, and they create calluses on our hearts, and we, don't, we end up not caring about them. Well, I can, I can tell a little white light here and there. And then because of those calluses and how we build it up, they can get a bit bigger and grow into bigger sins because we've gotten used to hiding sin and we get better at it and we, you know, and that's not the experience that we want. The experience we want is to have a open and clear communication with God and hiding those little sins and letting them grow because we, we callous over them uh, keeps, away, keeps us away from God, keeps us away from that, that open and clear communication, um, communion with him. And that's not what he wants either. His joy in us is that communion, is that relationship that we have with him. And he has designed us for our joy to be that as well. We want, we want joy. We want to experience the the giddiness of life um, because we have a clean conscience and we have that clean heart and we, can, we know that we are with God. And of course, we didn't know that. We don't know we're designed for that. So how do we get there? How do we know? How do we end up in a relationship with God? Do we just meet him on the street somewhere? <laughs> At a party? You know, just like we meet we might meet one of one of us here. Um, we meet God because He seeks us. He comes to us, and He has designed us to take joy in Him, and He's provided a way for all of that to happen. Um, he is He has taken control of the relationship. He is He has brought us all together um, that serve Him. In Psalm, Psalm 6, um, we'll see a lot of emotion um, from David um, as he's working through his sin, um, the state of, that he is in, um, which might be a little hard for me to express. Like I said, I don't, I don't, do, I don't do well with emotions and showing those and et cetera. Uh, but I do recognize them. Uh, I, I see when people are being emotional. Usually shake my head at them. <laughs> like, oh, come on, pull yourself together. Um, which, you know, actually studying through this, I'm kind of like, it's probably not healthy. That's, that's, that's probably something I need to work on. Um, but as, as the chapter opens, we see that David feels like the sin is crushing him. And he, he cannot... He cannot deal with the idea that he has sinned and is now separated from God a little. He, he has something there that, that is bothering him. Um, and with the idea that God might be angry with him. So in verses 1 through 3, we see, you know, he's, he's calling out to God. Sorry, I skipped my, my I was going to share my outline with you. There is one, I promise kind of. Um, so 
as we look at Psalm 6, um, I'll, I'll attempt to show you that there's love from the Father. Um, I mean, that's what this is about. There's, there's a, there's, it's about Father's love. And we'll look at the, fa- the love of a father bringing chastisement. We'll look at the love of a father brings restoration. And then lastly, we'll look at the love of the father brings joy of salvation. Or just joy, if you're handwriting, <clears throat> save a couple of strokes. All right, so chapter, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in wrath. Be gracious to me, for I am languishing. Heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also troubled. Greatly troubled. Like I said, a lot of emotion in those words. I mean, who uses languishing anymore? Who uses the, the, the idea that my bones are troubled other than like, oh, I broke my arm. That really hurts. My bone hurts. No, that's not what he's talking about. He, he's not saying that his, his physical body is literally crushed. But he's saying that the weight of sin or the weight of the idea that his sin is keeping him from God and that communion is, is waxing or, or like it's, it's making him feel sick and pushed down and, and straining to even function because he's lost that joy with his father. <clears throat> and, in, and in verse 1, you see that he's saying, like, don't, don't discipline me, right? Um, and that's what we, we might latch on to, but he's not saying don't discipline me. He's saying don't discipline me out of wrath. Don't rebuke me in anger. So he's not saying don't discipline me. He's saying have mercy and don't discipline me out of anger. I know growing up, <clears throat> when we got punished, which wasn't very often, I was a very good kid. <laughs> All five of my brothers and I were very sweet and chill to each other, so we never got punished. It's very dry up here. <clears throat> And, but, but when we did get punished, and oh, I didn't share, I, I am a very, very sarcastic person, so what I just said was one of those little lies, which I'll, I'll work on later. <clears throat> we got punished a lot. Um, yeah, with whatever was laying around, especially, um, when, especially when my mom did it. Uh, there was ping pong paddles that were broken, uh, not playing with them. Uh, they were just out, and she saw them, and she was mad, so she would grab, grab them and just, just whack us because we did something wrong. And that was not the end of the punishment. That was just the warning that, hey, I'm telling Dad, and when he gets home, you're going to get your punishment. So we got two, if you weren't counting. That's two punishments for one thing. Very, very unjust. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, growing up, uh, punishment from dad. We knew that if he was actually angry with something that we had did, punishment hurt a lot more because he used more force. Um, and so, you know, there's there a lot more sting in the swing, um, which he used. I have a very similar belt. I think his is a little wider. Um, but his had, his had like three rows of holes, so I think there was a little more wind or a little less wind resistance for that belt. He loved that belt. Um, so, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So, discipline can hurt more uh, from a place of anger, so he's, he's asking for it to be a loving discipline. Hebrews 12.6, if you want to look there with me, um, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
And then jumping down to verse 10, um, halfway through verse 10. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness for the moment. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see there that when we compare that passage with the verses that David starts this chapter with, this, this, this expression that he starts this chapter with, that he's, he's recognizing that he's done wrong and he will need discipline. He's going to receive it. It's going to happen. But he wants it to be more merciful. Um, and he knows it's going to happen because he recognizes that he is God's son. He is one that has um, been adopted by God. Um, which that's, it's how I put it. I mean, obviously, if we go back to actually David's time, he was a Jew. He was God's chosen people. So he, he had that connection as well. But, but for our relationship, we're adopted. Um, we, are, we are brothers and sisters with Christ, um, who, who is God's son. Jumped way ahead of my outline there just to explain that. So I guess I can wrap up now. Um, so we'll jump down to the closing. Um, no, I, we, we see here that David recognizes discipline is coming and that he can't get away from it um, because he knows that God disciplines out of love so that we can share his joy and share his holiness in the, when the discipline is done and then we've learned our lesson. I'm probably not going to be jumping in the river anymore, at least not like that, like I was in that story, because I learned my lesson. My knee hurt for a long time. I actually sat out, I think I actually sat out a couple weeks in soccer um, for that too because I, I literally could not move my knee very well. Um, and it hurt really bad when you did the head, head with the soccer ball for those two weeks. Something wasn't right. Um, but we learn our lesson. We, learn our lesson. We, 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 we are disciplined to learn a lesson. Um, and when God disciplines us, he also is teaching us lessons, and he's wanting to point out the fact that, yeah, you sinned, I saw it, and you're going to get in trouble. Uh, but no, he's, 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 he's pointing out the fact that there is sin, um, and he wants us to hate sin the way that he hates sin. And everyone has sinned. Um, we see that in many verses um, in the Bible as you read. Um, here I've, I've called out John eight thirty four. Um, where Jesus is saying, truly I say to you, everyone practices sin and everyone is a slave to sin. That's paraphrasing, by the way. I, I didn't read it word for word, so don't call me out later. Um, but he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What do we, how do we do that? I, I mean, are we just going to get punished the whole time until somehow we stop sinning? Um, no. Um, we probably won't stop sinning. Um, we, we will continue to sin because we are a fallen people, um, and, and God has already told us that we, we will. So, um, so that brings us down. So what, like, what is the answer to that? What is the answer to, dis to discipline? Or what is the result of discipline? Why is it there? Um, number two, the love of the Father brings restoration. Um, he's disciplining us so that we learn his, his laws, so that we learn his hatred to sin so we can stop doing it, um, at least in the areas that we're doing it and where we learn those lessons. We do them less often because we're like, oh, yeah, I did that before. It hurt after. We tie those together, you know, like our pets. You know, dog does his business on the carpet, and you rub his nose in it and spank him, and he puts those two together, that kind of thing. Um, so he's... He's restoring us by teaching us that there is sin, there's, res there's results of sin, um, and then so we can kind of steer clear of it um, as best we can, which isn't very good. Verses 4 through 7, Eternal Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. 
My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. I, I see a, a regret here, a, a sorrowfulness, a grieving, uh, because he is distanced from God because of his sin. And so he's reaching out saying, like, save me from this. I can't stop it. Not that he doesn't want to stop it, but he just, he just recognizes that he can. I mean, you see that in... Um, I'm going off script. I'm, I'm trying to pull something on my head. Um, you see that in, in Paul, I believe he said it was, uh, that said this. He's like, you know, I, I do the things that I don't want to do. And how does that one go? The do the things I do, not because I want to do them. It, it's just like, the, it's like battle. He's expressing that same battle um, of like he sins. He doesn't want to sin. Then he sins again. And he's just, he's going back and forth. He, he's like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And it's just a struggle. And, and David ha- would have the same thing because we have the same thing. If you're honest with yourself, I know I have this. I don't want to do things that I don't want to, you know, be angry and yell at my kid because he's, I just got home and he's trying to tell me about Minecraft or something like that. And I'm like, I have no, I, I, I don't want to hear about that right now. Um, but I don't say it just like, hey, give me a minute. You know, I bite his head off a little bit or something like that. Um, I don't want to do those things, but I do them. And so he has this guilt and this shame um, from these sins that it's because he's, and it, and it separates him from God, and, and he's, he's grieving over that. Because he knows that from, you know, from his Bible, which it's, it's the, you know, the Old Testament um, is where all this is, and if you, most people don't study that anymore seems like everyone likes the New Testament because it's easier and flows and it's not, you know, whatever. Um, there's a lot of big gats in the Old Testament, and so it's harder to read. But he, David would have had the, you know, the first law, the first five books um, of the Bible, and he, he knew those as a Jew. He, he grew up learning those, and he knew what was promised, what the law was saying would be sinful to do, would be um, bad for him to do. Um, and so he has evidently broken one of those laws. Um, it doesn't, you know, we don't know when this, this, this book was written. Um, so we don't know if this was, you know, after one of the sins that was shared elsewhere. Um, and this is just another way that he was expressing his sorrow over that, or if this is a different sin. We don't know. But we do know that there is sin that he is dealing with and that he feels separate from God. We're separated from God because we, God can't live with us when there is sin. He abhors the sin. He loves the communion with us and the praise that we give him. That's where his glory, that's where he feels glorified. And so he, God, has provided a way for us to retain that communion, retain that relationship. And as we, uh, As we, as we go through and remember our sin, there is only one way to deal with it. We, there's only one way to do that, and it's to confess the sin, to bring it to God and say, I messed up. Will you forgive me? Will you also put this away like you have promised? And that helps restore us to, um, to God. And, and John, uh, 1 John uh, 1, 8 and 9 um, I felt said it best when uh, I was reading through this this week. Um, But if you say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's there's a promise there um, that we can bring those sins to God. We can, we can have that uh, time to restore, be restored under God, and, and we just have to bring it to him. And that's the only way that we can do, take care of the, the crushing feeling of that sin and that shame. I skipped something in there. I know you guys are feeling it, because I, I don't feel like that linked together, but you guys are smart. 
you'll, you'll link it together, and I might pull it together with, the, with this next string, so uh, bear with me. All right, so, so number three, we're going to jump into that because now we're, we, have, we have the sin, and we've seen the love of the Father because he, he has provided a way for that sin to be taken care of and to restore us. So we have the sin or the, the, the love and now the rest restoration. So now we're going to go into the love of the Father bringing salvation. How's he, how's he done that? Um, and how, how is that channel open for us? And I know this one's loosely, uh, you'll get it at the end, okay. So verses eight through 10 is kind of where I, I put this, but these words aren't gonna tell you what I just said we were gonna cover, so. But David's calling for the workers of evil to depart from him because the Lord has heard his weeping. The Lord has heard his plea. The Lord accepts my prayer or David's prayer. All my enemies, all his enemies will be ashamed and greatly troubled, and they will turn back and be put to shame in a moment. David is lying aside his cares about the workers of evil around him and his desire to pursue vengeance on him, on them. He's laying all that aside because he knows there's something better. He knows that there's a different, a, a better way than for him to pick up his sword and go cut off some guy's head because, you know, he looked at him crossly. We don't, we don't need to seek, he knows that he doesn't need to seek vengeance. He's holding on to a different promise, a different truth here than the fact that his sword is sharper than the other guy's. He is saying that he can put away his desire to seek down these enemies because God has set in motion a plan to redeem the world. And therefore, he can leave that up to God. He can leave that vengeance, that, that, that um, correction, that discipline on the bad people there um, up to God because God has already promised that he would take care of that. He's, he's promised to take care of our sin. He promised promise to take care of our enemies and go to, go to battle for us. And David believes in that and rests in those promises. So that's why we see, and I don't think I did a great job of, of calling this out at the beginning when we started, but one, verses 1 through 7 are all lamenting verses. They're, they're where he's, he's burdened by something. He's, he's feeling pushed down and um, in pain because of sin. And then you get to 8 and 10, and he's a little more joyous. He's like, hey, yeah, you guys, that, you know, that sin that had me, you, you called me that name, you're going to get yours. And I'm happy about that. So there's, there's a split there in the chapter, uh, 1 through 7, 8 through 10. And so now the, the, the emotions that David is showing or, or sharing here is one that almost comes across to me as a, as a uh, hey, I'm happy. I just told my dad about you. He wasn't happy about it. And he's going to come show you how unhappy he was. <clears throat> and so he, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah you're going to get yours. But anyway, I digress from that. We'll, we'll move on because I have nothing else to say about that. All right, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, Hebrews has always been one of my favorite books to read through. Um, it's just so much about how God has redeemed us and how he is victorious and he is now like the, the radiant joy of God in heaven. He is the sun that shines. He is the, you know, he just, it just is great. So if you haven't read Hebrews 12 or even just Hebrews recently, you should, you should plan to do so. Um, 
So we see here that it was the joy of Jesus to endure the cross because of what he saw afterward. And what did he see? For me, it would be lunch. Like, I'm looking forward to this being over and moving on to more pleasant and, and, and uh, less stressful things. I think I have a stone burr in my heel from the stress of the last three weeks. So we need to spread these out. For Jesus, it was the fact that he knew dying and suffering on the cross keeps the door open between ourselves and him. He is glorified by our communion so much that it was joy to Christ to follow his, the instructions of his father and die on a cross. I, I can't fathom that. I don't, I don't understand how that would be a joy um, apart from Christ. I mean, I, I just, it, it's awful. Um, and to think that it was because of my sin in the first place that he had to do it. Um, to think that But to think that he did it anyway, he suffered all of that so that we could have communion is, I think, the most perfect way that a father could love us. And he did all of that before we even knew we were sinners. He put the plan in motion. We can think back through, or all the way back to um, the first sin. Genesis 3.15 was the first promise after the sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden where we see a promise of a savior, someone that would come and restore the world, would restore the order, the creation order that um, you know, we, we talked about a few weeks ago, um, that how everything has its place. There's, you know, there's work, and that's good, and there's love, and that's good. Everything has its place, but sin perverted all of that and messed it up. And but, but after the first sin, after it was first messed up, God gave us a promise that he, would, he had a plan to fix it. And we, we, he, we see here, um, if, we, if we tie those two together, here, Jesus dying on the cross was the f- first part of, Gen- of the three, of 315, Genesis 3.15, where uh, the Savior's heel was bruised. I should have written it down because then I could tell you it was the first or second part, but um, it was, in, you know, just, just trying to not read everything. I, I didn't write it down. So next time I'll just read it. Obviously. It'll be great. <clears throat> and the joy, I think, of Christ on the cross, knowing that the end plan, the, the next part of the plan was for him to defeat Satan forever and to put him away so he doesn't bother us anymore. Another part of the joy was for him to, to know that, yeah, well, when I come again, after, I'm, after I, I die on this cross and I raise myself and I go back to heaven and then I come again, I'm going to be locking up Satan. I'm going to be taking all sin and putting it away and restoring the world and putting it back the way that my father had created it in the first place. So that's the joy that was Christ was looking forward to when he was enduring the cross. <clears throat> the, the way that we tie into that, that joy or, or we, we grab onto it and, and have it for ourselves is we keep communion with Christ or with God. As we, as we do sins and we recognize those sins and we study his word and he brings sins to light that we had forgotten about because, you know, of the calluses and the um, condition of our minds of thinking that, oh, those, those sins, they're not a big deal. They're small. 
Don't worry about those. Think about the big ones. Like, just stay away from those. Well, that lie that Satan tells us that those, you know, oh, we can do that. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about the small ones. Those things grow and they create calluses and we don't bring those up and we don't have full communion with God. So Satan is trying to confuse us by telling us that we don't have to deal with every sin. Um, so we keep the, the line of communion open with God by confessing sin, by taking those to him and asking for forgiveness. We ask for those sins as they come up to us. If we have forgotten them, you know, if they are calloused over and we don't feel them and we read a passage and it convicts us and so a little, you know, a, a piece of that callus pull, comes off and we were like, oh man, I'd, I'd forgotten about all those things and, and they're wrong. So we confess those two and it kind of cleans up, you know, the, the corners of our hearts or whatever, the calluses off our hearts. And as we do those things, we have more full and sweeter communion with God. So how do we, how do we open that? How do we pursue joy? We, we study his word. We open and open and learn it. We hide it in our hearts like he's, he's told us to do, that we might not sin against God. And we hold and look to Jesus like uh, Hebrews 12, 12 was saying, and we, we look to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith because we can't do those things. We can't remove the sin from our, our lives apart from Christ. So we have to look to Christ to be able to do those things for us. And the sweetest, or the sweet, the sweetness of those promises that he will do those is the fact that they're already done. Genesis 3.15, except for locking sin up that, so it doesn't bother us anymore, so we don't have the shame and the guilt that still afflicts us, but the, but the battle is already won. And the only thing left to do is for Christ to come back and, and lock all that up and restore the world order completely so that we can live on earth without sin or the new earth that he, that he makes for us. And that's where we will have that most perfect joy and that communion with God. All right, let's pray.